Thank you for joining us for Revive the Drive, a ministry of the Bethany Fellowship of Churches. We live in a world where time is a precious commodity. One of the avenues for reviving our souls is the necessary commute to and from the many places our schedules take us. As the wheels of the car begin to turn, join our panel and set the wheels of your mind in motion as you consider the significance and impact of theology on everyday life. Let's listen in as our pastors talk theology. Thank you for joining us for Revive the Drive. Uh, This is Pastor Rich Burkle, and I'm here with Pastor Art Georges and Pastor Daniel Bennett. Today, we're going to discuss the doctrine of hell. Uh, It is a very difficult doctrine, and in many circles, it's a controversial one. It's a doctrine that many deny flatly because it's too hard for them. And I just want to read you a quote from Charles Spurgeon, and of course, Charles Spurgeon ministered over well over 100 years ago. And so even in his day, this was a a doctrine that was not popular, and, and this is his encouragement. We are told of some who went away from the Lord because of what he had taught. They cried, this is a hard saying, who can bear it? My friends, if you are not prepared to accept hard sayings, you need not profess to be disciples of Jesus. Horrible doctrine, cried another one the other day. Granted that it is horrible, may it not also be true? Many horrible things take place around us, and yet none can deny the facts. You cannot exclude from your knowledge many things which are true by merely crying horrible. It is not ours to judge of our Lord's teaching by our sentiment. We are to receive it by faith. And I think that is a great statement to begin with, that that we don't vote on the doctrines we choose to believe or choose not to believe. Uh, the doctrines that we believe, we believe because they're revealed by sacred Scripture. And and uh, I believe clearly uh, this doctrine regarding hell is taught to us in both the Old and New Testaments uh, for our encouragement and for our help and for our good. Yeah, that's right. And I, I think Spur- what's, what was true in Spurgeon's day is, is true in our day as well. There's, there continues to be a, a rejection of, of, the, God, of the, the doctrine of hell and Probably the most famous uh, recent uh, book to to grapple with the issue of hell was Rob Bell's uh, Love Wins, a book about heaven, hell, and the fate of every person who ever lived. And uh, I, I read most of it. And, uh, you know, I think what was what was sad is it's it's not a very uh, – well, first of all, the conclusions are wrong. Uh, it's not a very thorough book. The, the tone was was concerning to me as well. Let me, let me just give you an example of, of what, he, what he writes. He says, Fury – Wrath, fire, torment, judgment, eternal agony, endless anguish, hell. That's all part of the story, right? Trust God, accept Jesus, confess, repent, and everything will go well for you. But if you don't, well, the Bible is quite clear, dot, dot, dot. Sin, refuse to repent, harden your heart, reject Jesus, and when you die, it's over. Or actually, the torture and anguish and eternal torment will have just begun. That's how it is because that's what God is like, correct? God is loving and kind and full of grace and mercy, unless there isn't confession and repentance and salvation this lifetime, at which point God punishes forever. That's a Christian story, right? So that's the way that Rob Bell kind of frames the issue, that we as Christians have uh, this this idea of the character of God, that he's loving unless you fail to repent, and then he becomes this wrathful God. And in Rob Bell's mind, at least in the way that he frames this, this introduction, introduction to his book, is that that's not a a right way to understand God and his character. Right. It, it flatly contradicts our Savior's words when he teaches of hell and 
punishment in Luke chapter 16 when he teaches of the rich man and Lazarus. And uh, from the words of our own Savior, he he, he conveys this uh, individual who was not God-fearing, did not live a life of faith or faithfulness to God, and uh, his lot was to suffer eternally in hell. And so our Savior clearly taught throughout his earthly ministry of a place called hell and the eternality of hell and the the need to flee from the condemnation. So our, what you're saying is that as you look at the character of Jesus as revealed in the Gospels, Rob Bell is, is wrong here as he articulates what love looks like, what wrath looks like. You're, this This message wasn't something that kind of came at the end, hey, I'm going to be a really nice guy unless you don't do what I say. There, there's there's this overarching message that Jesus has that includes a, a call to, to be, to, to, to a, a call warning of the dangers of hell. Right, exactly. It's almost as if he's done what Thomas Jefferson has done, and that is to cut out of his Bible the parts that he doesn't like. Yeah, that story in Luke 16 is is a very profound story from which I believe we we learn much about uh, hell itself and, and through Jesus' teaching. And uh, I believe that's a real story, you know, and uh, some call this a parable that Jesus taught, and yet no parable does Jesus ever use a person's name uh, like he does here when he uses the name Lazarus. And um, that, that, that that style of, of saying there was a certain rich man is a style that he used to introduce, uh, that Luke used to introduce uh, real stories often through through uh, his gospel and the book of Acts. And so uh, I believe there's no real good reason not to take that as a real story of, of a historical event uh, that Jesus is describing regarding a rich man who lived wonderfully in this life um, and a poor man named Lazarus who lived miserably in this life, and yet um, the, their eternity were – their eternal – condition was completely opposite as well. And and uh, we find uh, um, the rich man crying out in agony uh, uh, that for, for just a little bit of comfort, even a drop of water uh, mm-hmm. to, to be given to him. So uh, what biblical evidence? So if, if there's this controversy um, about the reality of hell, um, and we have people who come to us and say, well, prove to me from the Scripture that hell is real, uh, because that's the first issue. Is it real? Is it uh, a, a literal place, or is it sort of a metaphor that's be to be used to describe sort of general unpleasantness that takes place in an eternity that, uh, that uh, is without Christ? I think Art began in a good place by talking about Jesus and, and his message. And as you look at Jesus's message, as he proclaims that the good news of the kingdom of God, coupled with that proclamation of the kingdom of God is, is a warning for those who are going to be excluded for the, from the kingdom of God. Uh, for example, in Luke chapter 10, he's, he's talking to these cities that have failed to respond to his call to uh, the gospel, to respond to the good news of Jesus. He, he warns them. He says, look, woe to you, woe to you. Um, he says this in, in verse uh, 14, it's going to be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hear, the one who uh, hears you hears me. He's talking to his disciples there. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects the one uh, who sent me. And so there's a warning of, of eternal destruction to those who failed to respond to his, to his gospel message. And so in, 
as we think about the character of God, a God who's holy and just, interwoven with his proclamation of, of mercy and, and salvation and deliverance is the idea of, of consequences if, if you fail to respond to his offer of grace and mercy and love. Yeah, right. the Apostle Paul also uh, um, speaks of a condemnation when he says to the Thessalonians uh, by way of comforting them because they're being persecuted by an unbelieving world around them. He says, uh, for after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well. This is in Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 7 now, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Yeah, we want to see this as a as a real place, don't That's we? That's right, yeah, because it's away, so it's locational. It's away from a location where God is. So, yeah, so, so it's literal, but you also said a, a very interesting word there, uh, eternal destruction. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, Rich, most you, meant, you asked who, how is this denied? And it's not, it's not like everyone's going around saying, oh, let's, let's just cut and paste. There's often an attempt to redefine what mm-hmm. hell would look like. Right. So there'd be a, an attempt to say, well, yeah, there's a hell, and it's bad, but it's temporary. Well, right. And and those that would uh, hold that then also must take the same word eternal for eternal life and make that temporary. That's right. So you you quote eternal destruction. It's, it's a never ending destruction. And exactly Matthew twenty five verse forty one, the he says, "Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal uh, fire prepared for the devil and his angels." And verse forty six, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And so you're you're exactly right that that's the problem they have to grapple with. Right. That's good. Yeah, and in uh, the Old Testament, uh, the Hebrew word sheol is used 65 times, and it's it's used to describe um, both the general place of uh, the dead for both the wicked and the righteous, but also the Old Testament uses it more specifically to describe the place where the wicked go and the place where uh, the righteous are redeemed from. Um, and so it's in the New Testament then that we have much more clarity on uh, this this doctrine or this this issue of of the place that the wicked particularly are assigned is a is a in, in judgment and the New Testament uses a number of different words to describe that place uh, as you mentioned in that uh, Luke passage it's it's described as Hades uh, but it's also described as Gehenna twelve times in the New Testament um, and then the abyss. And then it's described as a lake of fire. It's described as eternal fire. It's described as a lake that burns with fire and brimstone. And so there are a number of words that the New Testament uses to describe this particular place Hmm. and what exactly happens uh, to uh, those who are assigned there. So let's ask the question, what does a person have to do to go to hell? So we often ask the question, what does a person have to do to go to heaven? But I think most uh, people uh, think that heaven is, of course, sort of the default, that that's what you nat- a person naturally uh, goes to when they die, but you have to do something kind of uh, outrageous in order to merit hell. So what what is the, what, what is the condition uh, that must be met in order you, to go to hell? How do you get hell? there? Right. 
heard this song Highway to well, I don't know. Right. It's not, <laughs> right. not very biblical. Or, you know, again, it's it's sort of a, a curse word as well, yeah. you know, as as people assign others uh to hell, yeah. you know, in, in anger. So what does a person have to do in order to uh merit uh going to this place? It's it's a broad broad road, right? Yeah. 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 Well, back to that passage in Second Thessalonians chapter one, it says to those who do not know God and Scripture teaches us that uh, all men, essentially, uh, fallen man suppresses the truth. So God has made himself known through all that he's created. So uh, those who don't know God don't know him and are without excuse because they've suppressed the knowledge that he's made available to them through natural revelation. But then there are those also who have heard the gospel and disobeyed it. They have not as Jesus began his ministry, calling them to do, uh, believe, uh, repent and believe the good news or the gospel. And so there's a suppression of truth, of the fact that there truly is a God who has created them for his glory, uh, and there's also a rejection of the gospel upon hearing it. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've described some aspects of this place called hell. Uh, we've described it as being eternal. We've described it as being a real place. Uh, how else does Scripture describe this place, um, and maybe why does the, scri- the Scripture spend so much time describing this place? Well, it, it uh, talks about uh, hell being a place where the fire does not get extinguished and the worm does not die, uh, and so it's it's pictured as this place of, of anguish and pain, physical suffering. Inescapable. No relief whatsoever, right? Right. What else? It's there's wrath. You're experiencing the wrath of God. It's eternal punishment. There's there's this eternal. Uh, there, there's no moment in which you escape the uh, consequences and, and punishment of sin. Yeah, separated from God right. forever. All all right. that's good in life we experience is a is a evidence of God's common grace toward us. And so there's nothing good. Every good and perfect gift comes from God giver of every good gift. And so there's not no good gifts. And and so whatever we think about in our life that's pleasant and good, whether it's a, a smile, a joke, a relationship, um, uh, a cool a cool uh, cup of uh, water, whatever we think of as being pleasant and good, that is completely absent. And what about this idea of outer darkness? What what do we think about that? What does it mean outer darkness? Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to know exactly what literally a person is going to be physically experiencing because you know there's fire and yet yeah. darkness and but i think it i think it's it's truly going to be like you said separation from god there's going to be a spiritual darkness and there's going to be a a, a lack of ability to, to sense the the good the good things and have access to those things too yeah i i think i mean, my mind is just sitting here reeling uh, in sort of the horror of this and yeah. i think it causes us to do this it should it should motivate us to to witness, but it, it's just sort of mind-boggling to think that the lack of hope, because even when we get sick or we get hurt, there's always the hope of healing, the hope of getting better. Or when we're uh, experiencing anguish or heartache, there's the hope of coming through that. And, and to think that that will never be a person's lot who suffers in hell, they'll—, they'll resign themselves to utter hopelessness. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because the Lazarus story 
uh, indicates that the rich man was suffering some physical pain, yet he didn't have a bodily resurrection yet. Right. You know, so there, right. there's some kind of a soul pain that he's describing. And yet it's also interesting because the Scripture describes a bodily resurrection of the righteous and the wicked, mm-hmm. that God intends to bring judgment upon the whole person just as he intends to bring salvation to the whole person, and that there will actually be a physical resurrection of those who are lost, and then they'll be cast mm-hmm. into the lake of fire that's, that really was created for Satan and the angels. It wasn't created for, for, for man, but it becomes the place of, of judgment. So let's ask applications now. You know, you, you started uh, moving there as we start thinking about this sober topic. And uh, I'm, I'm reminded of, of one pastor, uh, and I think he was a Puritan, who, who said that we should not talk about hell without tears in our eyes, mm-hmm. you know, because it is such a grave matter. It's not something that's sort of intellectually interesting um, and, and fun to talk about, but it's a grave matter, and yet it's so vital for us to uh, embrace it, to think about it, meditate upon it, and to proclaim it. So why? What applications might we draw from the doctrine of hell for our lives that would really change us as Christians and change us in our service to the Lord? Certainly there'd be the application of praise and thanksgiving for Christ, the indescribable gift, who has ransomed us, that God so loved us that he desired that we not perish but have everlasting life. And so it gives us a great deal of gratitude and hope. And that contrasted with the lot of unbelievers uh, causes us to want to proclaim Christ as as the hope of all men. And so there's yep. not only gratitude but witness. I had a pastor uh, when I was younger who, who was an evangelist, and he talked about hell all the time. It had a profound impact on me. Mm. Uh, I can remember very clearly in kindergarten praying for my classmates because mm. I had this sense – that their future is one of misery if, in, unless they get to Christ. And, and that I'm thankful that, that I had someone who taught me much and often about hell because it had a profound impact that way in my compassion for the lost. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, it's interesting. We, we had a baptism on Good Friday this year where we had 14 people um, who uh, were testifying to God's salvation. And we didn't tell them exactly what to say. We, we say we want to, you to give a witness of God's work of redemption in your life. But well over half of them talked specifically about hell. Mm-hmm. They talked about how they heard about hell, and they did not want to experience that. And I think the, the doctrine of, of hell as written in the Scripture is not cruel, but it's the kindest thing that we could have because if it is real, and it is— <laughs> To, to not say something about it is the most cruel mark. It's, it's the most unloving thing we could possibly do. So there's a, a sense in which we are, we are grateful that we're not there. We, we are invigorated to tell others about the gospel so that they can escape it. There's also a sense in which we respond with worship to God that he is going to deal with sin. Look at the contrast between Revelation 18 and Revelation 19. Revelation 18, Babylon's falling, and everyone's really upset about it. Oh, man, this great city in which we did commerce, and we you know, we just loved this city so much. They're just weeping, lamenting the fact that God's judging Babylon. Right. Then in 19, in Revelation 19, uh, the great multitude in heaven cries out, hallelujah. 
In verse Mm -hmm. 3, hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever, and they worship God. And so I don't think that we're supposed to get excited that that souls are going to hell, but we should be excited that God is holy and just, and even in his wrath, his glory is going to be displayed, and and there's just a a sense of rejoicing and worshiping in that. And and we'll be through with sin. That's the big thing. Sin Sin does not have a future. And uh, there's going to be a time when we won't be tempted to sin, we won't sin, and all the consequences that come from sin will be no more. And apart from the doctrine of hell, then we have a heaven that's tainted by sin. Right. And so uh, hell guarantees that sin has a final conclusion. It, it, it's a chapter that's closing. So, well, thanks for joining us here at Revive the Drive. We, we pray that this will have an uh, encouraging effect upon your life as you live for Christ. God bless you. Ah.